The familiar chorus of Sonny and Cher's I Got You Babe rings across the radio on a cold February morning. Phil rises out of his bed, goes about his day, and has some good experiences, has some bad experiences, but just another day in the life of Phil. Tired from the day, he goes into bed and falls asleep. Wakes up the next day to the same chorus, Sonny and Cher, I Got You Babe, going through the airwaves. Again, he goes about his day thinking that he's just having some strange case of deja vu or something like that. And he, again, has some good experiences, some bad, but all the same experiences. Confused, tired, he goes to bed yet again and rises the next morning to Sonny and Cher all over again. The day is the same as yesterday. And tired and confused, he goes about the day again. This movie, Groundhog Day, has now become part of our modern vocabulary, hasn't it? It feels like Groundhog's Day, the same thing, over and over and over again. We know this film, but here we are. Perhaps Sonny and Cher greeted you this morning with I Got You Babe, for it seems like we're here yet again. Schools are closed on the face of closure. Here I am on a video sermon yet again. Seems like Groundhog Day all over again. The coronavirus has greatly impacted our city, our country, even our little church in our community this week. There's been a number of families that were impacted by the coronavirus. And so here we are yet again. What are we to do with all this? How are we, how are we supposed to deal with all of this craziness? It seems like we're stuck in the same time loop as Phil. Bill Murray's character in Groundhog Day. How do we get out of the time loop? What do we do? As I said last week in my introduction to the book of Zechariah, this book is like a roller coaster. It's got crazy twists and turns. It has weird, strange visions and things that we're just not really sure what to do with and then how to deal with them. But here in chapter 2, we've inched our way and we skipped over the, the first two visions and we enter into the third vision Zechariah sees we've gone over the apex of the first climb and now we're beginning to shoot down the, 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 the dec- decline of the first great hill. And so Zechariah the prophet has been shown this vision by the Lord. In this chapter uh, we understand a bit about the Lord and his presence with us and his pursuit of his people and how he protects his people. And so this is a, a really great chapter. It seems fitting that we're here now and then we're in Zechariah two. Um, so let's go there. If you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to open up your Bibles or your apps or whatever you may find yourself having um, and go and turn to Zechariah chapter two. We'll read the entire chapter um, this morning. So we'll start in verse one and we'll finish in verse 13 of Zechariah two. So hear the reading of God's word. And I lifted my eyes and saw and behold a man with a measuring line in his hand. Then I said, where are you going? And he said to me, to measure Jerusalem, to see what its width and what its length. And behold, the angel who talked with me came forward, and another angel came forward to meet him, and said to him, Run, say to that young man, Jerusalem shall be inhabited as villages without walls, because of the multitude of people and livestock in it. And I will be to her a wall of fire all around, declares the Lord, and I will be the glory in her midst. Up, up, free from the land of the north, declares the Lord. For I have spread you abroad as the four winds of the heavens, declares the Lord. Up, escape to Zion, you who dwell with the daughter of Babylon. 
For thus said the Lord of hosts, After his glory sent me to the nations who plundered you. For he who touches you touches the apple of his eye. Behold, I will shake my hand over them, and they shall become plunder for those who serve them. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me. Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for behold, I come, and I will dwell in your midst, declares the Lord. And many nations shall join themselves to the Lord in that day, and shall be my people. And I will dwell in your midst, and you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. And the Lord will inherit Judah as his portion in the Holy Land, and will again choose Jerusalem. Be silent, all flesh, before the Lord, for he has roused himself from his holy dwelling. Thanks be to God, the reading of God's word. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, we thank you for this time. Again, it seems odd and strange to be back in this place, but we know that you are our God. You know that you are sovereign and you are wise, and this doesn't surprise you here this morning. So Holy Spirit, come now and enlighten us to the truth of your word. Uh, show us wisdom and show us grace. Guide my words. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Again, we enter into Zechariah chapter 2, but before we get into Zechariah 2, I, I want to take us back in time in the Bible for, for a little bit here. A time at the very crossroads of the people of, of Israel, or may I even say the very definition, the defining moment of the people of Israel. I want to take us back to the events of the Exodus. Now, I know we're familiar with the events of the Exodus and all that goes along with it. But back in the chapter 12, we, we understand that of Exodus that, that God has taken his people up out of Egypt, out of slavery, and has allowed them to, to come to the Lord, back to where they're supposed to be. Um, they haven't quite yet crossed the, the Red Sea, but we enter then into chapter 13, and there's a very wonderful picture of God's presence that he provides them in, in Exodus chapter 13. And in Exodus chapter 13, the, the Lord gives them two things. He gives them a cloud, and he gives them a pillar of fire. A cloud to guide them by day, and a pillar of fire to guide them by night. But this, these two things not only are, are, are signs that the Lord is with them, or, or to guide them, but they're signs that the Lord is with them, both day and night. He never stops being with them. They're always there. They're, they're tangible signs. or things that they can see, and if they got too close, they could touch the fire. And they could understand that the Lord hasn't forgotten them. And he's with them, no matter where life takes them. And so, Zechariah 2 comes into focus with this understanding of all that this is. They're familiar, the people are in unfamiliar territory. They're wandering around the wilderness. And they're not even actually taking the way that they think is the right way, the most efficient way to go where they want to go, back to the promised land, back to, or to the promised land, or back home. They're taking a misguided route, not going the way they thought they should go. But the Lord shows himself worthy and faithful to his people and shows them that they will have a Lord, a God, a friend, someone to guide them, someone to protect them. Ultimately, the Lord is not far off. He's with his people. No matter if they know where they're going or not, no matter if they understand the trajectory or not, the Lord is still with his people. And he does this by giving them a cloud and by a pillar of fire. The Lord will then proceed for days and weeks and months to continue to show himself faithful, to continue to show himself worthy of being their God, of guiding them and protecting them. And he does it by showing them a cloud and a fire. And now I want to turn again to another part of Scripture, 
that further emphasizes this and further illustrates us this idea of the presence of the Lord and how he's with his people over and over again. So again, if you have your Bibles or if you have an app, turn to Numbers chapter 9. Yes, Numbers, that really wonderful book where we all go to when we're tired and confused and want an answer from the Lord, we automatically turn to Numbers. Well, let's turn to Numbers chapter 9. And we'll start in verse 15 and we'll read through verse 19. And again, we see this cloud and we see this pillar, but it has a different characteristic now. So let's just read these words from uh, Numbers chapter 9, starting in verse 15, if, if you found yourself there. On the day that the tabernacle was set up, the cloud covered the tabernacle, the tent of the testimony. And at evening, it was over the tabernacle like the appearance of fire until morning. So it was always the cloud covered it by day and the appearance of fire by night. And whenever the cloud lifted from over the tent, after that the people of Israel set out. And in the place where the cloud settled down, there the people of Israel camped. At the command of the Lord, the people of Israel set out. At the command of the Lord, they camped. As long as the cloud rested over the tabernacle, they remained in the camp. Even when the cloud continued over the tabernacle many days, the people of Israel kept the charge of the Lord and did not set out. The cloud and the pillar suggested at least two things to the people of Israel. One was that the Lord was in their midst. He promised that he would be their God and they would be his people. He was guiding them and he was leading them. The second thing, at least, that it shows them and it shows us is because he was in their midst. And as they saw, the Lord had defeated Pharaoh. He brought them out of Egypt and brought them to himself. They knew he was protecting them. He just defeated Pharaoh. He defeated the army and swallowed him in a sea. This God that goes before them protects them. They had nothing to fear as long as the Lord was with them. Now, Let's go back to Zechariah 2, and this bizarre vision of some angels and a, a guy holding a string. What does that have to do with Exodus, and what does it have to do with numbers, and what does it have to do with us? This is the, these are the questions that are before us here this morning. And as we enter into this section of Scripture, we should be reminded again of the overall call that Zechariah was making to the people, and yes, I would say even to us. As the people walked around, again, the city that was destroyed by the siege and the rubble was all around them, the call goes out to the people. In the same sense, in a similar sense, as we walk around the rubble and the turmoil of our lives, of broken relationships, unmet expectations, unmet dreams, all of these things, the hurt, the trials, the, the tears, the sorrows, even the joys, were met with this same reality. As the call to Zechariah, the call that Zechariah makes to the people from the Lord is to rise above, is to rise above the cloud of dust from the debris, to rise above the chaos, to rise above the noise, to rise above all the things that are happening in the world and to see something. Zechariah wants the people of Israel to see it's not just about the sea. It's not just about rebuilding the temple. It's not just about coming back to Jerusalem. It's about something greater than that, bigger than that. It's about seeing how the Lord is at work and seeing how the Lord is working to restore his people. Not just a city, not just a temple, but he's working to restore the mission that he was on from the very beginning. There's a bigger picture. There's a fulfillment of promises and God's at work to fulfill his purpose. This is what Zechariah wants the people to see. This is what God wants us to see. It's so easy to get weighed down by all that stuff, isn't it? It's so easy to get weighed down by the chaos of, 
another round of school closes. It's easy to get bogged down by the fact that here we are watching a video again a video of a message again and we're not in person. This is hard I and mean, we get bogged down and we, we're anxious and, and maybe there's even angst or anger or misunderstanding, all of these things. These are real emotions happening right now. It's easy to get weighed down by these things, by the things we disagree with, maybe even perhaps the things that we agree with. It's easy to, to get bogged down when things don't go exactly the way that we want them to, that we expect them to or think they should go. You see, we look around and we get bogged down by the things that we want or the things that we see that haven't been met. All we see is the things that have been crumbled. All we see is the crumbled ruin of what once was. Zechariah is saying to us, poke your head above the dust clouds. Poke your head above the noise, above the chaos. Poke your head above the immediate for our immediate desires to be met, for our longing for self-satisfaction. Poke our heads above the immediate need for preservation. Poke our heads above the immediate need of affirmation and see something more glorious than even those things. See something far more grand than anything you could ever imagine. See something that the, the Lord among us. And he's at work. And he's doing things. And it's not just about these things that are right smack in front of us. It's something greater. Something better. Something more fabulous than we could ever imagine. And at the heart of that is the presence of the Lord. Do not fear. Do not let yourself be bogged down with the things of the world. See his glory, Zechariah is trying to say to us. See his mission. See his purposes. See that the cloud and the pillar remain and he guides us and he protects us and he pursues us and that we're the apple of his eye. This is what Zechariah wants us to see about the Lord and about our lives to hear now, today. But you may be asking the question like I asked myself of, of Zechariah chapter 2. How? How was God guiding us through all of this stuff? How is he restoring us through the midst of all of this craziness with the same things over and over again of the here we go again, right? Here we go again, the same story. The reason I had us go back to Exodus and Numbers was to paint a picture. To paint a picture that the people of Israel saw firsthand each and every day and what I want us to see here and now today on this Sunday morning. The picture is essential to the, to the existence of the people of Israel. It's essential to answer the question that's before us. How is God guiding us? How is he protecting us? How is he pursuing us? How are we the apple of his eye, his portion? The picture is one that the Lord is constantly painting again and again and again and again in Scripture, over and over again. What's that picture that he's painting? That he's with us. That he's here, that he dwells among his people. He's not far off, but he's here now, today. The Lord of hosts has a deep, deep longing to be in relationship with his people. And even the gates of hell will not stand against him or stop him in pursuing that relationship and securing that relationship. So rise above the dust, rise above 
the cloud of the rubble, rise above everything that's going on and, and let us see. This is what Zechariah is trying to say. I know that it's not the way it's supposed to be. I know it's not right. I know it's not ideal. But see what the Lord's doing. See how he's working. This is the call that Zechariah has before us here and now today. So, how does the Lord guide us and how does he do all of these things? It's three things according to the way I read Zechariah chapter 2. The first thing he does is he protects us. We see that in verses 1 to 5. The, the second thing he does is that he pursues us in verses 6 to 11. Then uh, briefly at the end, I'll tag on that, that we are his portion. So let's look at Zechariah chapter 2 here this morning and these glorious verses and this strange, odd story of angels and a guy holding a string. The vision begins with Zechariah opening his eyes and seeing a man holding a measuring line. Now, we don't use measuring lines. Zechariah asks this guy holding this measuring line, what are you doing? The kind of question that we would ask of someone holding up a measuring tape. Well, if someone's holding a measuring tape and he pulls it out and there's a bunch of numbers on there, then the obvious question is, I'm going to measure something. Well, right? That's what this guy holding his measuring line is doing. The obvious question, what are you doing? Mm, I'm going to measure something. And the guy tells Zechariah, I'm going to measure the city of Israel. I'm going to measure, measure its width and I'm going to measure its length. In other words, I'm going to measure the square footage of, of Jerusalem, right? I'm going to measure the city of Jerusalem to see what the square footage is in order that I can begin the task that I've been given to rebuild the temple, to rebuild the city, to rebuild the walls, right? This is what good construction people do. A saying I learned when I was young and didn't always adhere, and perhaps still don't always adhere, but is to what? Measure twice, cut once, right? Any person tasked with a building project knows the dimensions of the, of the project. It's essential to understand what's going on because Based upon that square footage, in other words, length times width, right? It gives you a square footage of your project. Understands that everything, the cost, the material, the labor, everything is determined and factored in by the width times the length, the square footage. This is what this guy's doing with this string. He's trying to figure out, what do I have to do? How do I get there? Right? I'm measuring Jerusalem to see what it needs, what it's going to cost, all of those kind of things. But then something remarkable happens. A couple of angels appear on the scene. And they say, ho, 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 stop that guy. Stop him. He can't measure the city because he's got it all wrong. He doesn't know what he's doing. And it's interesting that they, they say, hurry, run. There's urgency here. That, that you're going to mess everything all up if you just measure everything like you think you're going to. Tell him to stop measuring because it's wrong. You've got the wrong measuring line. You've got the wrong tools for the job. The angels say to Zechariah, tell him that he's measuring the wrong width, the wrong length. There's something completely... All you're looking at is the immediate. You're just seeing this city. You're seeing the rubble. There's more to it than that. Rise above. See the bigger, the more grand picture of what's happening here in this city. It's not just about rebuilding the temple or the, or the walls or even the city itself. Hurry, tell him before he gets it wrong. For the city is something far more glorious and magnificent magnificent then this guy has any idea of what's happening. You see, because the measuring line that this guy's holding can't possibly measure what the Lord is about. And what we see in this vision is it's, it's not about the things that are at hand. It's about the nations. It's about the creation. 
It's about the restoration of a new kind of city with all kinds of people, all kinds of nations, all kinds of livestock coming back. And it can't be measured because the city is not defined by walls and temples. It's defined by the nations coming to know the Lord Jesus as their Lord and Savior. For this city, as it says here, will have no walls because there are too many people and too many cattle to really measure it. But for the people of Israel, this is a frightening proposition. We have to rebuild the wall. We have to rebuild the wall. For that's the very thing that protects us. This, we don't have an army. We, we've, just come out of, what, we've just come out of captivity in Zechariah 2. That they're coming back from Babylon and they're going back to Jerusalem. We don't have an army. It's been stripped from us. So the very least that we need is a, is a wall and a temple right, to protect us from these things. This is the only thing that we have left. Protect our city. We need these walls. We need an army. But the glaring irony here that just rings down at us as they stand among the ruins of a wrecked city and a wrecked temple and wrecked walls is the very things that they, they think they need to, that they're turning back to, are the very things that failed them in the first place. The wall couldn't protect them against Nebuchadnezzar. Their army fled in the middle of the night like scared rats. But we fall into the same temptations, don't we, unfortunately? I do. The things that are supposed to protect us. Money, reputation, jobs, retirement, governments. These are the very things that we rely upon to protect us over and over and over again. Yet, how often they fail us each and every time. And But we turn back and we trust them all over again. We pursue them all over again because they, we think they protect us. They, those are the things that define us and give us security. And the Lord is saying, rise above. Rise above the noise and above the chaos and see what he's doing. See how he is with us and, and at work to pursue us and to uphold his promises. Then something happens in Zechariah chapter 2. The Lord, his voice rings in through one of these angels, doesn't it? Do you see that? What does the Lord say to us? He says in verse 5, I will be to her a wall of fire all around, declares the Lord, and I will be the glory in her midst. People of Israel, people of Redeemer Arlington, we don't need a wall. We need the Lord. And he says, I will be the wall. Like what? Like fire. Oh, you mean like it was in Exodus? Like it was in Numbers? When you protected us in the wilderness, when we didn't know where we were going, we didn't know how we were going to get there, we were tired, we were hungry, you were with us and you protected us and you defeated the greatest army in the world? Like that? Exactly like that. Oh, you're going to be our wall of fire. You're going to be our protector. You're going to be our God. This is what Zechariah is saying to us. This is what this vision is all about. In other words, remember the Exodus. Remember Pharaoh. Remember the tabernacle where he showed that he was faithful to be with us. Remember the cloud by day and the pillar by night. Remember the Lord is the Lord. Rise above the noise. Rise above the chaos. Rise above and see the more glorious and grand picture the Lord is painting for us. The city he is creating is a city of nations. 
a city without walls, a city where he stands on the ramparts and does not allow the enemy to penetrate or take siege of his city. Friends, this is the call. It's the call to Israel. It's the call to us. Even in moments when things may not be exactly the way we desire them to be, look beyond the smoke. Look beyond the noise. Look beyond the headlines. Look beyond our anticipations. Look beyond our expectations. Look beyond our hopes, our dreams even, and see. See that the Lord is at work drawing his people to himself. He's at, rest- he's at work restoring his city, not the one defined and measured by strings and measuring tapes. The one is defined by his glory and his presence and his power. A city without walls, where just as he was in the tabernacle, he resides at the center and his glory shines in the middle of it and it shines here and now. The Lord says to us, up! Up, arise and take our place. Take our place on this mission of restoring this kind of city and building this city. The only way we accomplish that is because he's in in our midst. He dwells with us. He is our glory. He's the one that protects. He dwells with us. His presence is the very thing that allows us to rise above, to see above the noise and the chaos, above the talking heads, above whatever it may be. Rise above and see God's presence, see his glory at work in us here and now. His presence then also allows us to see and it illustrates the fact that he is in constant pursuit of his people. This is what else Zechariah is trying to get across to the people in Jerusalem and to to us here this morning. We're being restored by the presence of the Lord because we know that he's always pursuing us. He pursues us in two different ways, I think, in Zechariah 2, verses 6 to 11. The first way that the Lord restores us is through his pursuit of our enemies. He doesn't let them get away. These few verses are a strong and bold blow of righteousness against those who are against the Lord and his people. There is coming a day, according to the prophet, that those who struck a blow against the apple of the Lord's eyes, as as they're called here, the Lord's eye, his people they will experience a devastating blow of righteousness and justice. This phrase in verse 9 should cause us to remember the promise made to the serpent back in the garden. Do you remember that promise? There's coming a day, serpent, that your head will be crushed. You're not going to get away with this. There's coming a day. I will pursue you until the very ends of the earth, until the day your head is crushed. There's coming a day when the Lord will strike the enemy, and it will be a swift, it will be a mighty blow. Here the prophet is proclaiming the very same similar day of destruction. The enemies of the Lord will not get away. He will pursue them, and justice will take place, and righteousness will be vowed. Isaiah tells us the Lord is the judge. The Lord is our lawgiver. The Lord our king. Judgment is the Lord's to be had. It's not ours to to render justice or righteousness. We are to pursue justice and righteousness, absolutely, positively. But it's not ours to administer. It's the Lord's. He is the one that is pursuing evil. He is the one that will eradicate evil. He is the one that does the work. And so what a comfort it is, right? 
what a comfort it is to know that we're not the ones to wield that sword. I don't have that responsibility. I, I, don't, I don't have to wield the, the hand of righteousness, the sword of justice. Those are the Lord's to have. He will have his say. He will have his day. Justice will be administered. But the pursuit is more acutely pointing as the Lord not only pursues the enemies of God's people, but he actually pursues his people. This is evidenced in the, in the mere fact that the people are back in Jerusalem, right? They're, they've returned. They were once in Babylon, an act of righteousness and justice, holiness. But the Lord pursued his people. He didn't leave them in Egypt. He didn't leave them in Babylon, but he pursued his people. He brought them back. He pursued them to the point where he's taken them out of slavery of Egypt. He pursued them to the point where he's taken them out of slavery of Babylon. And he brings them to himself in, in, in the wilderness of Egypt. And he brings them to himself as they exit Babylon and they return to Jerusalem. This is what the Lord does. He takes them out of captivity and he's freed them and brought them back to himself. He is restoring them just as they are tasked with restoring the temple and the city and the walls. The pursuit of the Lord is constant and relentless for his people. It never stops. I said earlier that the Lord will, will stop at nothing to restore the relationship between himself and his people. Verse 10 is a joyous refrain of this pursuit. It says what? Sing and rejoice. Even as the city is in ruins and the dust cloud hovers over, sing and rejoice that the Lord will make himself known and what he will dwell with his people. He says, I come, I will dwell in your midst. He's pursuing his people and he's going to live in the center of his people. He will dwell with them and he will dwell with us. We're not far removed from the Christmas season where we celebrated this very reality, right? The fact that the Lord has come and taken on flesh, and he does dwell with us, even in the middle of our own ruin and our own brokenness. He pursued the flesh. These are the lengths, the heights, and the depths that the Lord goes to pursue his people, not only to take us up out of a captivity and slavery, but to actually take on flesh. He pursues us to that degree. He takes the rubble upon himself. He takes the ruin upon himself. He takes our brokenness upon himself. And he faces our enemy face to face. The enemy of death and hell cannot overcome the spotless Lamb of God who took these things upon himself. He took the sins of the world upon himself. He pursued us to the point that he took on flesh. He pursued us that he, he died, even death on a cross. He pursued us to the point where he died on the cross and he went to a grave and he went to hell and he defeated them both and he rose on the third day victorious death could not hold him hell cannot hold him the enemy cannot hold him this is how the lord pursues you and me here and now when we are looking around our rubble and our ruin and our brokenness and our sin on that first and glorious Easter morning, he rose from the dead, victorious over sin and death and hell and 
Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? It has no more victory. It has no more sting, for it's been defeated. The enemy lost. The Lord pursued the enemy, defeated him. And now he pursues us with vigor and with relentless love and grace. We are secure. We are protected because he pursued us. We are restored because of what the Lord Jesus has accomplished. His pursuit of his people took him to a cross, took him to a grave, and ultimately to embrace you and me, to make you new, to rebuild us. This, then, is how the prophet concludes this portion of Scripture. And the Lord will inherit Judah as his portion in the Holy Land, and will again choose Jerusalem. And he says in verse 8, We are the apple of his eye, the very treasured possession of the Lord God, the creator of the universe. You and I and all of his people are the most valued possession that he has, the apple of his eye. We are the portion that he loves and he's restoring us to a city. A city without walls. A city without buildings. A city that has the Lord at its center and dwells with us. And in that center is the Lord Jesus Christ, who is with his people. This is his portion. This is what this means. A restored city, defined by the nations and the multitudes of people that have risen up up and returned to Zion to sing the praises of the King victorious who is always with his people. Friends, this then is our call. As I've said, in this Groundhog Day existence where it seems like we're back at it again, rise above. Poke your head above the cloud of dust and see what the Lord is doing. See how he protects us. See how he pursues us. And see how he loves us. Loves us to the point where he gave us his son to take on flesh. To die. To have victory over a grave. And to say to us, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Even more so than a cloud and a pillar. He sends the Holy Spirit to indwell us. To call us his temple. To call us the apple of his eye. His portion. Rise above to see the heights and the lengths and the depths of his grace that he gives to you and to me. How he pursues us to restore the multitudes to himself. Let us then, along with the saints of yesterday, along with the saints of today, and along with the saints of tomorrow, to sing and to rejoice for the presence of the Lord is with his people. Thanks be to God. Amen.